The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked, no matter what your body size or your life circumstances. This is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are, and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and today on my show, I have a really dear, dear colleague of mine um, who I'll introduce formally in a moment. Her name is Molly Fox. Many of you, I'm sure, know of her, certainly in New York and L.A., and all across the U.S. that are fitness, wellness people. Um, And this show, as I said last week, it's really helpful when I hear from you in email and you come on to the Instagram page, Feel Good Naked Radio. I love getting your feedback. And last we got this great note about the word embodied um, and how grateful everybody was for more information about how to be embodied, not only physically, but spiritually and mentally. And that's what Feel Good Naked Radio is about is waking you up, giving you great information, having information not just that is passionately inspiring to me, but given to you from experts, people who have put in the time, who have put in the effort, and who know the industries that they represent. And today, there is no exception to that rule. This is a woman who has been in the fitness industry since 1979, starting at the Jane Fonda Workout in San Francisco. Molly Fox founded and ran the infamous Molly Fox Studios in New York City for the better part of 14 years. She then began working with Equinox Fitness Clubs, where she still teaches today. She's appeared in numerous publications, including People Magazine, Vogue, and Shape. She has shared her knowledge on the Today Show and many other programs, while writing three books that she also choreographed and appeared in, as well as a number of fitness videos, and she's contributed as an expert for other people's books and publications. Molly Fox, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here, and it's great to talk to you again. I know, I know. There's so much I want to say to you on the air today because I think about you, how you inspired me so deeply in the 80s in New York City, a very vital time for the fitness industry, really where it all began, I think. I mean, LA, New York, you couldn't argue either place, but we were in the thick of it. You were a pioneer who had her own studio. I ran my own studio. And I think I first became aware of you it must have 
been, what, what year did Molly Fox Studios open? 1981. 1981, and I moved to New York in 84. I must have come to your studio probably around 1986 for the first time. And I mean, it was a thrill beyond belief. Just I can feel that elevator going up, the doors opening, there's the desk. The energy was coming out of these rooms. There was that hallway. And I got to look into one of the rooms where you were teaching, and I was like, Oh my wow. I just I couldn't believe my eyes. It was so dynamic. It was so beautiful and awake and alive and embodied physically. So take us through your start in New York. You can go back to San Francisco if that feels more relevant. But really what I want to ask you is when you knew that that studio in New York was going to happen because it was so right. It was so right on. Okay, this is, that's such a good question, and I don't know if I've ever answered it, really. So, breaking news. Um, <laughs> um, I did something um, in the late 70s called the S training, Earhart Seminar Trainings, and I did it out um, out here, and then when I, when I went to New York, I um, before I, I, I had this vision of a big studio, I was teaching at an acting school, small acting school, um, and they had a dance room there, and that's where I started teaching. But I went to this thing called the six-day course. And it, one of the processes that you did in the six-day course, asked in the, the six-day course or human potential activities that one would do, workshops, I, one, was, one of the processes was to sit and imagine something. I don't exactly remember the details, but I saw in my mind this studio that had a number of rooms and felt almost like a fitness mall that you could walk down the hallway and there'd be all these activities on the side. So that's where I got the vision for it. And um, I really had no inclination to do that. I moved to New York um, to be an actress like many people do, and um, discovered that I don't, don't really like, did not really like being told no to. So I started teaching at the acting school, and it was at a time, lore when nobody was exercising in New York. They, I think they were certainly in, in L.A. Um, at Jane Fonda and Lottie Burke and other places, but in New York, Really, it wasn't happening, and I would people would stop me on the street and go, "Well, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I teach these exercise classes." And they go, "Well, what's that? What do you do? <laughs> what do you do in an exercise class?" So it was really almost like, "Well, you got to come try it. You got to come try it." And uh, slowly but surely, it became more popular. Um, I kind of started with um, a kind of a, uh, a bastardization of the Jane Fonda workout as the formula for teaching and then, um, you know, moved on from there. But I like what you said about the very beginning. And it makes me really think about the beginning of any industry, how vital and alive it is. And um, almost as if there are no rules so there are no constraints. That's what it felt like. There were no mm. rules. There, nobody was a leader. You could make up whatever you wanted to do, and people did. And um, 
there were no clothes. There were no shoes yet. Mm-hmm. So we used to make our own clothes. I'm, we used to go to Capizio because the only place you could get exercise clothes was at the dance studios, I remember, way back then. And so what we do with a pair of tights is we cut a big hole in the crotch and stick our head through it and our arms <laughs> through the legs. And that would be like a top. It would be like a flash dance kind of thing. Uh. And um, so we were creating our our. And then I, re- I remember sitting around with my partner, Rebecca Thomas, and we'd go, well, what other kind of exercises can we do? Well, let's lay on our side. What will our leg do? Well, let's lay on our back. What does our leg do? And that's how we started to, to devise or create programming from there. So um, it was a, it's a wonderful time. And I imagine any industry when it's vital like that, the, you know, Silicon Valley was vital like that. It was alive. Um, and there was nobody telling you that what you're doing is not right because nobody knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was an extraordinary time. And um, yeah. You know, you're bringing me back to the essence of the feeling in my body, thinking back to that time. That time was so rich and so exciting in New York City. And I think when you mentioned the creativity is what I was hearing with the leotard and the crotch and all of a sudden it's a top. Um, And then, the you know, you and Rebecca figuring out how the legs work anatomically from the hip to the foot and... I just think we were all so blessed to be in that moment of something new. And I never thought of it like that, but you're right. The beginning of anything, including love, has this sort of titillating, electric, cellular, embodied, aligned joy that is so fertile. Yes. when I think of New York during those times, you know, we had Studio 54 going on in the dance life, nightlife, and there was this charge around moving and dancing to loud music with other bodies around you. And, and it was probably right around the time Staying Alive, the John Travolta, you know, the whole idea of dance and movement and groups. We might have seen a little bit in the movies, but what we were in the very thick of was creating that type of experience for anybody who walked through the door. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think there is something very powerful about when people got together, particularly women, but when people got together and did something as a community, and this became, the exercise studio became one of the, like a third place. You know, you had your work, you had home, and then you had the exercise studio. And like the church, it was like a new church, or the church used to be the third place. And um, that sense of community and connection and vital life, um, was 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 really really extraordinary and what and that the um what was interesting too Laura was to look back at the time in history um <clears throat> the AIDS ec- epidemic was just really was starting and people were starting to die they're starting to figure out what it was so it was a, a time of mass creativity and my studio was down in Chelsea so there was a large gay male population which always brings like you know, creativity and life and 
theater and all kinds of, of um, dynamics to this community. And um, it really thrived. It thrived on that. And it, it was very different after when, you know, the, um, so many people started dying. Mm. Um, it changed the landscape quite a bit. Mm. Well, and in a way that the exercise studio was like the gay nightclubs during the day where you'd go with a cup of coffee, not a, a alcoholic beverage, but you would have that same kind of just explosion mm-hmm. of being in your body and feeling it come alive and things moving and emotions going all around you through this energy field. And so the music would pulsate and the bodies would pulsate. And it was so addictive that I think it became not only the church, but you're right. It was like the most important place other than where you had to go, which would be work and then family. But boy, that exercise studio was right close, close connection to the family and the work because it's where people went to feel alive, come alive, note their emotions. And and I think what you said is what really began my deeper work in this field, which is that you couldn't move in one of those classes and not feel an awareness of the mind-body-spirit connection. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't no, separate. Mm-hmm. No, you couldn't. And I think that one of the things I like the you know using that word embodied. I think that one of the one of the thing. Okay, a couple things. One is I think it was incredible. The industry was incredibly liberating for women because women could exercise in skimpy outfits in public in community, and there is a highly sexualized sense in those rooms. So it was liberating for us in a way to be able to express through our bodies that way. Um, And yeah, I just, I think that that, and then that it became like, you know, a kind of a, you know, the dark side might be a pickup bar. You could call it like that, but the, 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 the lighter side is really about that, that freedom of expression. And I remember very early um, when I first had my studio in the, um, uh, acting school that in the beginning we would get people from all over and we got like the cast of nine from Broadway we'd get Broadway stars we'd get actresses people would slip in um, and um, and that brought a whole nother heightened sense of theater because it was raw there were raw edges it was not formed so if somebody started singing in the middle of the class it was great it just added to the quality of it where now everything is very controlled and um i think that's what happens when things get codified they get controlled and you mm-hmm. follow along in the in the way that it's already it's been structured by you know somebody outside of yourself and you accept it but back then there wasn't that it wasn't codified so what the heck we could start a class where people sang. I mean, there was no, there were no rules. So whatever came, whatever happened, became material for creating. God, yeah, I don't want to come to the present time yet because I'm still just with you in that, <laughs> that sensual, safe feeling of what it meant to come together like that. And you're right, it was charged, but it was safe. You didn't feel like someone was going to, um, you know, 
take advantage of you or uh, do something that might be overpowering. Everybody was in it together. It was it was the safest, most exciting community I've ever been in, and it lasted about. I, I my time in New York was eighty four until my studio was 84 to 94. And I think, so that was a 10-year run, and then it changed drastically, which will take us more to where we are now in the industry. But you were in your studio, you had it for 14 years. Mm -hmm. And I felt that dynamic vibration in your studio up until the very end. Um, I can remember being there not too long before you closed. So why did you close? Because I know you could have kept going. Well, actually, um, not. Um, I There was a period of, in time in, I was never really a, a great business person. I was a great vi- visionary. I could see things. I could engineer things a little bit. I knew what needed to happen to get a vision. I wasn't good at main t- maintaining that. Um, and there was really not anybody in the business that was good at it either. Um, but we lasted 14 years, so something had to be going right. Um, yeah. But what happened was the the landscape changed. Um, the aerobic studios, um, it got a lot of competition by um, the 35 foot square, 35 square foot fitness clubs where you could get free towels. You know, we had to start charging for towels um, where you could get weight equipment and classes. And so this is relatively new. All that was new at that time. And um, so people started to go to that, you know, and they could recreate energy. It was very different, but they could certainly recreate energy in the room. And it was new and it was it was different and it was the next thing. And so it happened, I knew somewhere along there, I thought, I either have to get bigger or I have to go away. There's no way I can stay in this, in doing what I'm doing. Um, and so, you know, my, my partner and I, we talked about it. We said, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have three or four places. I don't want to, I don't want that life. So that's when we decided to close it up. In retrospect, if I had known what yoga, how yoga was going to explode, that's what I would have done. But Uh, but hindsight. But Molly, do you remember when you and I met and we discussed opening a yoga studio on the Upper West Side and we went and looked at that space? Yes. Right near Lincoln Center. We were we oh were my. thinking about a yoga studio because and this was before you decided to leave the city and it's before I decided to leave the city, but we had several meetings. I want to say that was 92, 93. Really? Cuz we closed in 94. Then it was then it was 94. It was right when you cuz that's when I said, "Let's do yoga." And you're like, "Huh?" And we were like looking at space and thinking about just a yoga studio. And that at the time was not even, there was nothing uh-huh. in the yoga world like that. So you and I were going to do that as a business. Darn it. <laughs> darn, darn it. <laughs> Woulda, shoulda, coulda. 
<laughs> you and I. We were going to do it, and then the world took us in very crazy directions otherwise. But, yeah, so I want to go then. Let's let's walk a little bit into the present time, the business now. Um, I was thinking about this when you were talking about your classes and Rebecca and you and your the legs. You know, we had, let me think, we had low-impact aerobics, high impact aerobics and we had a new program that at the time was like woo and it was called stretch and firm Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I went on the schedule at Equinox today and I want to read you the names of these classes which you work there you know this but for the listeners this is crazy from from no impact high impact and stretch and firm to boot camp cardio kick cycle sanity pure strength Fire Starter, The Pursuit Build, The Pursuit Burn, Adrenaline, Performance Cycling, Kettleball Circuit, Studio Cycling, Ab Lab, Chiseled, Tabata, Cycle Beats, 306090, Trilogy Bar, Hot Vinyasa Yoga, Precision Running, Metcon 3, and Tread and Shred. wow that's a lot of classes right yeah so i mean you got the yoga world you've got that kind of menu at equinox where you are premiering when you teach tell me about the industry now in your opinion Hmm, that's such a good question you know it's um obviously very different and everything is moving very fast And there are a lot of players and there are a lot of people grabbing at uh, and trying to be the next new thing, you know, like spinoffs, like the cycle, like soul cycle and uh, the yoga studios and, and, you know, orange theory and all these other um, small boutique, which kind of is 360, but different. So there's a lot of players, a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity to, um, well, a lot of competition. And so there's a, a mad rush. I feel like a mad rush for some sort of marketing name that, you know, keeps getting somebody's attention. And plus now we're just inundated with information and images so that um, everything has to be heightened a little bit, like the names that you were reading off. Um, and the other thing is that one of the things that's different now is it's not that exercise is not really to music anymore. It used to be back in the day, it was to music. It was started, you know, Jane Fonda workout back then it was started by dancers who stopped dancing and, and taught exercise. And so it had that feeling. It was to music and it was rhythmic and sometimes it was smooth and sometimes it was staccato and, 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 um, and you use the changes from the chorus to the verse as a way to build energy and theater and dynamics in the class. And it's not anymore. It's, um, it's more, um, I'm going to write out a, a, a system. I'm going to write out your workout and I'm going to call it out. And the music will be a background or it will just be a, an in, in inspiring kind of part of the class. But um, it won't have a role the music won't really like the like there was the student, the teacher, and the music, and all three of them, you know, were together in the old days. That's very different. 
I also think that um, there is a depth of knowledge. I'm talking about instructors now. You know, um, there is a depth of knowledge that we had back in the day that um, was unique that people don't have now. And um, and I can tell whether it's looking back here with the sense of history, or if if I had it back then, or we had it back then, or not. Probably it's the sense of history. But I it feels to me like there's a very limited amount of knowledge that one needs to be able to teach a class. And I don't mean like where the muscle is, but um, sense of of rhythm and and. Um, Friction with the with the energy in the class and creating dynamic energy and how can you do that without props? You know, eight thousand things that you use or um, screaming or whatever in the, in the class. So that's very different. Um, and 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 yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, Laura. Is the that music does not have the same large role. In it and all that that evokes the theater and the movement and the embodiment and the sexuality and all of that. And I think that when you go into the class, where in the old days you would have felt like you were part of creation, creating it, that there was a real role for you and you were really important and it was a back and forth. And that doesn't always happen. People kind of just come and go and the teachers come and go, and there's not that. Um, uh, you know, I see you, I got you, we're doing this together, this is really exciting kind of feeling. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, but what about when you teach? Like, what wh- what classes do you teach where you bring that even well, now? Well, I kind of, I bring that, all, I mean, because it's, it's in me. I yeah. have to, because it, that's the way, I, you know, I have always taught. Yeah. So now I teach, you know, and I kind of think of it, Laura, I think of it like my job, I don't teach exercise. I give people the opportunity to get in their body, to feel Mm -hmm. their bodies, to feel their their body do different things, to increase their proprioception is the scientific word, but to get embodied. So I go, dang, there's my leg. I feel the back of my leg. I never knew I could feel the back of my leg. I feel my shoulder, the muscles around my shoulder. How cool is that? Because when we do that, our whole life expands. Like, you know, our, our, our sense, our sensory awareness expands. If we can feel things 360, it's, it's, it's awesome. And so that's why I kind of look at what my job is. And so it doesn't really matter the name of my class. I might teach um, the skinny jeans workout or I might teach uh, body IQ or, you know, um, core and strength stretch or something like that or, or yoga. But there, it's, the intent of it is always the same. Mm. So, um, and, I, and I really pick my music. I spend a lot of time because I think that music is super, super important in creating whatever kind of um, uh, energy or mood or idea that um, that I want to that I want to bring forth into the class. So, yeah, I I I when I teach, I'm like on the beat and I am looking. I'm catching people, you know, with their eyes. You know, I'm making eye contact. 
you know, and I'm te- I teach basics, you know. So to me, you, you, learning a basic squat or a basic something to music can be the most exciting thing ever. It doesn't have to be a basic squat with a weight up over your head on a ball balancing in the pool. You know, it can <laughs> just be with your feet on the ground and yeah. sitting and standing. If there's something powerful in that. And um, so that's where, that's, I keep circling back to that. I'm like, what, are, what do we get from this? What are we walking away from, from this? Yeah, I'm exercising, burn some calories. You know, my brain cells are now regenerated. All the good stuff that we know now because we do research on it. But what else am I getting? What am I getting that I can feel? What yeah. am I getting that expands my life? And I, and I think that's what it is. It's like, oh, my God, I never knew I could feel that. Look at I look in the mirror. Look at the, look how great I freaking look. Yeah. Wow. You know, my knees used to buckle in. Now they go straight ahead. And I understand why. And I can recreate it on my own. And, um, you know, those are great. Those are great gifts. I think that instructors can give their students It's like, it won't matter what class you go to, because I'm going to teach you how to do these simple things right. And, um, yeah, so I find that fascinating. To me, I get I get jazzed by like, okay, who's going to come? What do we need to talk about today? Because the cueing, cueing people in class is very, really simple when you think of the basic cues that everybody needs. There are basic cues to everything. Yeah, there's fine tuning, but really, there's basic cues, and it's so it's it's a really it's a um, you know a really fun thing for me to figure that out, to figure out how I can uh, create that sense of community. Like in the class for Equinox, I teach in Northern California now, and I've had people in my class, a, a lot of people, they've been there for 10, 11 years straight. So something's got to be, something's got to be clicking. They've got to, something's got to be, they're getting something. Oh, my God, they're getting Molly Fox, lucky students. I mean, when you have a devoted teacher and um, and you really bring that kind of A-game every time you teach, that is a rarity. I'm here to say what you're describing in the industry, which is so interesting the way you phrased it all, to what is your offering every time you step on the floor to teach – you know, it reminds me of my offering too. I teach three classes a week in Portland, Oregon, and I change the playlist every time I teach. And it's probably a 90 minute commitment each time I, mm-hmm. before I even teach, is the playlist. Because I too feel that music evokes a deeper understanding of cellular memory and emotional body. And then that whole hour or hour and a half is a much deeper experience. And I know like your students, my students are so devoted to me and they come every time and say different things, but I know I'm called to do this work and I know you're called to do this work. And I think the gift that we bring is that we're still teaching and we're Mm -hmm. still on the floor. And that's kind of like going to see you know, Mick Jagger with the Rolling Stones in a way. It's like, my God, that's Mick Jagger. My God, that's Bono. 
uh, there's Madonna and there's Molly Fox and Laura Redman and we're still teaching and it's mm-hmm. it's 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 decades and decades and decades and I had a student say to me last week you make it look really easy maybe you could train some people mm-hmm. to do this and I and I've I've never chosen to do that because I'm older now and what I can offer is is my time with my three classes but I don't think you can teach people to do what we do. And yet when we started in the industry, as you described it, the Jane Fonda workout, I went through a training that was anatomical, that was metaphysical. You know, you did the EST work and you did the Jane Fonda work. But nowadays, you're right. You sign up for a weekend, you learn how to teach bar three, and you're on the schedule the next week. That's crazy, man. We, we, there was no way you could have gotten it. It was such a deeper commitment when I was teaching in the early days. You wanted it. You worked for it. You auditioned for it. And you didn't get on the floor as a scheduled teacher until you had proven to trainers that you could teach by teaching them classes. And then you still were considered a substitute. I mean, it was rigorous. Mm-hmm. It, so, it was, and I think part of it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking, Laura, that there are so many places now, and there's such a demand for teachers, and there's probably a lot less people that want to do it. So I can understand the need to, like, get people through, and 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 I understand, that, you know, as things expand, biz, the offshoot businesses expand, you know, so there's people set making equipment and people selling equipment and then people creating um, workshops for teachers to teach a different class and people creating their brand and doing that. And 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 so the, the whole industry is just like splat, gone wild. So I understand how we could get to the place that we get. Yeah. And on your Equinox schedule, I see you have to literally on the web pick your classes because there's a note about the filling of these classes. And so would you say that this explosion is making our world healthier? Like, are you seeing it? it, It's a population issue. Would you say that? Is it, is it, there's so many people that want to work out that are committed to fitness that this is why there's this explosion? Well, no, that's a really good question. Because apparently the same percentage or maybe just slightly higher of people in the population are exercising and the same as maybe in the 90s. So it's still like 80% of the population is not really moving or they're walking or they're doing something. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I think that there, that there may have been, you know, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, it's such a good question whether that the, the, here's what I think, because I like your initial question, which was, are people getting healthier? Um, I don't I don't know. Here's what I think about um, at, as we started exercising more, we started to eat more. I think when exercise became more popular, probably there were more and more eating disorders or body dyslexia happening that I think is true um, and so one creates the other you know the need for food and the need for exercise and blah 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 becomes an addictive kind of thing um, but the, what what's 
so what strikes me where we are now in terms of there's um, that the industry has gone in a very, very interesting direction. We know a lot. We know a lot about the body. We know a lot about exercise. We can fine tune your 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 squat or your this or your that to to burn you know five more calories a day, and we know how to do that. But what we don't know how to do is to get the eighty percent of the population to exercise. We've never been able to figure that out. So for me, we've gone in in the opposite direction. You know, so I was on a, a symposium in New York. And there were a lot of very smart people up on top, on the stage talking. You know, somebody from <clears throat> uh, um, from medicine and from research and from fitness and all over. And they were talking about getting people well and fit and moving. And uh, they said, you know, one of the problems is, is is that people do Zumba. They have stuff out there like Zumba that doesn't really know what they're doing. And I thought to myself, I said, that is the problem right there that elitist i you need to know everything before you can go out and teach see to me zumba is the greatest thing happening the Hmm. greatest it is getting people to move and you don't you need to know just a little bit get a bunch of people in your class they don't do much it's not high impact there's very little things that you could hurt yourself in a zumba class but you're moving, you're creating community, people are losing weight if they want to lose weight, people are happier, their lives are changing, and it's, and it's getting into populations that never would come into an equinox, or never come into a lot of the places, soul cycles, or the this or the that. It's the same group, just recycling themselves, or their children. You know, my children would be going to soul cycle, you know, so... Um, but I think I think that, and I see why Zumba is so popular. You know, you can go to a class, and it can be a woman who's maybe fifty pounds overweight, and she is teaching a bunch, and the room is packed, and everyone's having a great time. Mm-hmm. And for me, if you can get people teaching their peers, their friends, right, in these underserved communities. We, it would be the biggest turnaround ever. So um, that's where I think, I think that's where the, that's, you know, the work that needs to be done. Well, and maybe your point about the training not needing to be as intensive as ours was or mine was, is that we've got an obese culture. We've got a really unhealthy world. The diabetic rate is climbing at such an exponential speed We have to move. We have to get off our butts, video games, no more. Get away from the TV, the computer, and the phone. Stop driving. Walk, move, dance, and anything that can provoke that kind of motivation is worthwhile. I guess one of the things that I get nervous about with that theory is injury. And I think injury is maybe not in a Zumba class. I can't deal with the tempo of Zumba, but I love watching people in a big crowd doing it. Um, My body wants to go slower. But I worry about anything beyond a certain choreographed footprint, the injury rate. And and maybe that's the program where that's not going to happen because you're just shaking your hips and you're, you know, using your rib cage. And again, I don't know the methodology. Right. Well, that's a really good point. 
and and even Zumba has taken now there's like sub classes, you know, Zumba with a band, Zumba with this, as anything goes, it goes from pure to a pure state to, you know, an expanding kind of watered down state. But I think my point is that those, the direction that that company went is the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So the inclusiveness yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, so, and the fact that there's, you know, they lay out, um, they lay out a workout that's pretty very simple. You learn rhythm and you learn a few steps. And um, I, I think I just I'm I'm extremely impressed, and especially when I when I see how it's impacted, you know, the underserved communities. So, yeah. and when I say, and I still, you know, and having said that, I love to know a lot about fitness. Yeah. But I'm just saying that that the more you know is not going to help. You know, a lot of the eighty percent of people who don't want to exercise, it's not interesting to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? You know, and all in the movement that hey, what about food? We gotta yeah. change what you know, we gotta change what we're eating for Pete's sakes. We gotta like right there, you know, yeah. we can change we can change almost more than fitness, we can change people's lives. Yeah, and take the plate size half down so that the dinner plate doesn't match the serving plate and the salad plate doesn't match the dinner plate. But, but I, but I do, I do respect so much what you're saying about my question about people being healthier, thus the gems having a thousand classes named all different things, perhaps more similar than they sound. The idea being that if 80% of the culture is still unhealthy, then you got to move and Zumba is really hitting that nerve. Yeah. And and education, if you're going to teach Zumba or anything, is always good. But the actual motivation is to get people moving and healthier so that 80% can come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I haven't seen anybody do that except for Zumba. Maybe Richard uh, Simmons. Richard Simmons. Oh, Lordy, my heart's been feeling him a lot lately, Richard <laughs> Simmons. Really, I, I, I feel for him right now yeah. and all that he's going through. So our heart out to you, Richard, if you get to hear this. Molly, where are you going in your spiritual work these days? What's happening in your integration um, with, say, that yoga mentality or that spiritual-esque mentality with the working out? W- w- where's your spiritual world these days? Well, it really is pretty private. Not that I won't tell you, but it's really like um, my own meditation. I'm involved in a 12-step group. So that's kind of like my, um, you know, my life there, my, uh, my way of life, if you will. And so it kind of, um, so I'm, I'm 63. And so when I look at... Um, my life, what's really important to me are connections with people um, and my grandchildren. I have two grandchildren that are eight and um, my daughter and family and, um, and connections. So when I think about my work, I think about teaching or I think about anything that I want to do that would be like work. Um, it would be around connections with people. So I think that my spiritual life exists um with others Mm. um 
And, you know, if I want to talk about God or I talk about that sense of something greater than myself that I can tap into that gives me peace, it's also something that I can see across the room. I can see across the dinner table. I can Mm -hmm. see, um, you know, at the gas station or whatever is bringing it, um, bringing it into my everyday so that I have a conscious contact with a power greater than myself and it's not relegated to a yoga mat or church or one place but it's um uh it is really a moment-to-moment kind of thing and it makes me um so things that i things that i use during the day that really help me are uh, some of the AA slogans, I think, that are just so powerful. The, the serenity prayer is perhaps my my favorite prayer of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And little things like oh, when I'm feeling stressed out is just toss. And I feel like I'm anxious or things are overwhelming me is to, and I can't come up with an answer or I have anxiety, is I'll just turn it over. I'll say, okay, God, you take it. Hmm. You take it. Yeah. Because what I know, what, what God is taking, what I'm giving up is just anxiousness, drama, all that stuff. Here, you take that problem that may not even really be a problem because I'm like festering it. Or this too shall pass. And yeah. so that, and I think it un, there's an under there's an underlying force of faith that happens when I can do that. Um, I have faith that there is that power that I can relax into, or I can give it over to. Um, so that's it's kind of a living, breathing thing for me. And nature, I live now. I live now in Cowtown. I live in Sonoma County, Northern California. I live in Sebastopol, which is wine country here. It's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And nature is a huge part of my spiritual life. And are you a daily or a regular meditator? Uh, regular. Yeah. And would you say you're following, uh, is it your own sort of, you said you do your own meditations. Are those usually seated shavasana with mantra or all of the above or nothing, none of the above? Oh, I just sit. Yeah. I like to just sit. I find it more, I find it more challenging to follow somebody's. Um, I prefer just to sit. Yeah, and, and I'm learning as I'm getting older, you know, for me, the slowing down, the silence and the slowing down is sometimes the best way to even know why there is anxiety or stress, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. so much of that, you mentioned a little while ago, the speed at which we're all traveling and operating and living, and it's it's really a problem, and it's it's happening and it's not going to change, but I can choose to slow down and to just really not react. I think that's my great, my great work that I'm getting so much from is just Mm -hmm. how do I feel? What do I think? And do I even need to do anything about it? And, And I can't even get to that, really get to that unless I go into a meditation 
to know what's happening in a slower format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Getting older is wonderful. It really is. <laughs> and I've recently become a vegan in the last year. Oh, wow. So what and motivated that? Well, I was, I've just been you know, checking up on so much of the research around cancer and heart disease and not eating meat and being plant-based. And I thought to myself, if it is so helpful to people who are sick, how bad can it be if you're well? So it just made sense to me. So I eat um, a plant-based diet. I eat so many vegetables that I could like have, I think I have a garden growing inside of me now. Uh And um, fruits and vegetables primarily and no meat and, you know, very, very healthy. I haven't eat. I don't eat any flour, any sugar. and, And not that you shouldn't, but it doesn't work for me. I am truly a sugar addict. I'm one of those people that does not eat one cookie. Um, I will eat the box. And um, so for me, I can't, I just, I just can't even touch it. So that's, that's, it's been a great, great thing for me. And um, I'm in great health and, and I love the food that I eat. And so, and, and I'm lucky enough to live in, in uh, Sonoma County where there's the farmer's markets are unbelievable, like, you know, in Portland and, you know, um, so I think that's another area that we we can look into um, um, in terms of s- sustainability, you know, and health, and not just exercise, but health. And How I think that we do. I think that I'm I'm doing one more thing. I think we do a little bit of a disservice with so much talking about organic. And not enough talking about just vegetables and fruit. When did you start the vegan lifestyle? Um, it's been about a year. And tell us what you think is the main thing you would say is different comparatively before vegan and after vegan. What are some concrete differences that mm. you noted? I feel lighter. Um, I feel more lithe. Um, I, I have less food issues. Um, uh, I know I'm healthier. My, all of my, all of my, you know, all of my, uh, vitals are great, you know, and, um, yeah, so I, I have great strength and, um, and the other reason I did it was because, I know that that it is that it is it's going to be very hard for all of us to sustain if the planet if we continue to eat animals the way that we are. Mm. So um, that's a, that's another um, that's another reason I became a vegan. But the other thing is I love I've become to appreciate the colors of food that the colors of vegetables and the colors of fruit and what nature has created and, and, and being a part of that is, is great. Now, I just feel great. And for somebody who exercises all the time, I That's feel huge. fantastic. And my bills have gone way down, <laughs> my food bills, which is always good. Oh, that's interesting. That's a that's a good motivator for anyone out there who's yeah. trying to cut back on the expense somewhere in their life and while the gaining is, health. 
And I think the thing is that most of the research shows that the more fruit and vegetables, you, you get a big bump up in health, right? If you do organic, you get a slight bump up from that big bump up. So the big bump up in health is to include more fruits and vegetables, however they are, however um, you get. That's a great tip. Tell us what you're reading these days. What's on your bookshelf? What's or next to your bed? Oh, right here. I have got um, The Evolution of Biomechanics, which is a very interesting book. It's kind of a fitnessy book. I am reading um, The 13th Affair by James Patterson. I have <laughs> in my, my cheap book section there. The Medical Medium. I am reading that book. And those are the three that I have here. I'm kind of a person that goes through and you know, weeds through them, looks through them, passes through, reads what I want, go back maybe two months later and see what else I like. I like nonfiction. Um, and I listen to a lot of books on tape. The books on tape I'm listening to right now is uh, How Not to Die, mm-hmm. um, which is a great book on um, uh, how to how to not die from heart disease and cancer and different types of things. And uh, so I've got that and... Um, and I like to listen to books uh, about um, uh, religion. So I've got the history of religion, comparative religion, different things. So that's what I like. You might enjoy Anne Lamott's new book about mercy. Mm, I saw it's that. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. I'm I'm having a wonderful time with each chapter. It's beautiful stuff, and I love I love the way she writes. Yeah. Molly, if someone would just be so lucky to take a class with you, where can they find you? How can they locate your classes? Tell the listeners about learning more about reaching out to you if they choose to. Yeah. Well, you can certainly find me on Facebook, right? You can contact me there, um, just Molly Fox. And um, if you're in Northern California, I teach in San Mateo, Palo Alto, and Berkeley, Equinox locations. And what you can do is just go onto the Equinox website and get onto a search. There's a search platform there to find the teacher that you want. And you just put my name in and they'll come up with all the classes that I teach and where they are for the week. And when you mention the symposium in New York, are you on the road? Are you teaching elsewhere? Do you have things coming up that are outside of California? No. I'm a, I'm a homebody. Nice days, really nice. Yeah. So I get to pick up my grandkids from school, uh, and I get to, <laughs> I get to do those wonderful things. So, oh, it's a nice. good life. It's a it's really a good, good life. life. Yeah, I always, I always feel lucky that we both found our embodiment, as we called it today, at the ages we did, because it does just get better and better, and the. Enhancement is infinite. So we're we're blessed, blessed beings. And I'm so thankful to have shared this time with you. I I love you. I really do. I've always had such a special, special place for you in my heart. And it's been very meaningful to talk to you today. Thank you, Laura. And it's so great to talk to you. And I feel exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. I felt feel like we are just we are connected even if we don't talk for five years if I saw you we would just talk away for an entire weekend Uh, it's so it's a very I feel very lucky to have you in my life so thank you thank you thanks for tripping through the past with me 
Yeah, it felt good. So fun. It felt good. It felt good. And and you'll appreciate my tagline for the show that you are such a great example of is that you complete you. So thank you, Molly Uh, Fox. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 